0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. It is Halloween week, and we just so happen to be on the chapter Halloween. This is chapter 10, and it has been an amazing week. Last night, got to go and do some trick-or-treating. I didn't trick-or-treat. I was handing out candy with some people very dear to me, We all got to dress up as some Harry Potter characters. I went, of course, as Harry Potter. I went originally thinking that I would be dressing up as Harry Potter when he was an Auror. However, I forgot my black button-up shirt, so I didn't get to wear all of my black stuff to kind of pull off that look that has kind of like bounced around the internet a little bit about what he would have looked like when he was working for the ministry. We also had... Lucius Malfoy and Madam Hooch, which I know is a really crazy combination of people to have, but it was so much fun to hand out last night. There are pictures of it up on our Facebook group page under Common Room Talk. We also have it up on Instagram under the same name, Common Room Talk. Go have a look at it and just see just how crazy these outfits were. The person who was portraying Lucius I thought honestly looked like he could have done well in the movie interview with a vampire. He just looked so funny in his wig, super long blonde hair, but he had the the rings on, they had found some cufflinks that had an M on it and it looked like some kind of crest that he had around his neck that also had an M on it for Malfoy and it was just really well done. And Madam Hooch, the the hair, the broomstick, it was all absolutely wonderful. And of course, I went as Harry. I had the Elder Wand with me as uh, in my at least version of the costume. I had not done what he does with the wand without kind of giving away that spoiler. And I know it's not canon that he would have the wand then. However, I had the wand because it's my favorite wand. It was so much fun. Go check it out. You can find the Facebook page, Common Room Talk. You can find it on Instagram, Common Room Talk. The pictures are just so great. Now, I did not plan for this to play out the way that it did, that we are on Chapter 10, Halloween, on Halloween week. It honestly just happened this way. There were episodes that we split into two parts, and it just so happened that we got here. We're we're on Halloween, on Halloween, and it's really just exciting to me. And so I am ready to start this chapter. Now, if you remember the end of last episode, which was the Midnight Duel, we ended with them coming face to face with a three-headed dog while they were down a corridor that they were not supposed to be down. They had been forbidden to be down this corridor. And we also learned a fun little fact that Originally, in this sequence, we had not only Neville join them, we also had Gary, who was later actually named Dean, who was then originally cut out from the scene. And so that's really cool. In the book, we have just Harry, Hermione, Ron, and Neville. In the movie, just Harry, Ron, and Hermione when they come face to face with the dog. Also, if you're new here, it's been really cool. And this is a little break here in the story really quick. When I posted some of these photos on Facebook, I also was able to share them with other Harry Potter fan pages and that led to an increase of people joining Common Room Talk on Facebook. And so, If this is your first episode joining in, please go listen to the other, I believe, 14 episodes that we have done. I think this is the, the 15th episode now that we're doing. Understand that It's probably not going to sound as good as this one does. Not that I'm saying that I sound good. I have just improved since I started doing this a few months ago in episode one. And you'll hear me talk about that, that it is a new endeavor, that I haven't ever done anything like this before, and that I'm wanting to progress at doing this. And I definitely think that I have. But if this is your first time listening, thank you so much for joining the group. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you like it, please share it, like it, talk about it. Just do whatever you want with it, please, but tell me what you think about it. If you want to send me an email, at gmail.com We ended the last episode with them coming up to the three-headed dog, going back to the dormitory after escaping the three-headed dog. Not that it wasn't a huge effort, they just had to run through the door and shut it in time. They get back to the dormitory, and Harry's then contemplating just what was going on with the dog and if it ties in with what Hagrid pulled out of the vault when they visited Gringotts in the beginning of the story. Now, this chapter starts out with Malfoy not being able to believe that Harry and Ron were still at Hogwarts. This is now the next day. Now, remember, the belief is that Malfoy tricked Harry into being out of bed After dark. And his hope was to get him caught and then obviously thrown out of school by being caught out of bed after dark. So the thought is that he went and told Filch or somebody that a student would be out of bed later that evening. And even though they were out of bed, they were not obviously caught. So Malfoy wasn't able to believe that they were still there. Harry and Ron are now excited about that adventure that they had with the three-headed dog, and they thought they would be quite keen to have another adventure. In the meantime, it says that Harry and Ron were discussing the small package that was moved from Gringotts to Hogwarts, and they're kind of deliberating on what it could be. It's either really valuable or really dangerous, says Ron, or both, said Harry. And even though they only knew it was about two inches long, they needed more clues to really start thinking about what it was. Neville and Hermione showed no interest whatsoever in talking about the trapdoor or the dog that they had seen standing on top of the trapdoor. And it says that Neville only cared about never going near that dog again, which I really don't blame him. I would not want to come face to face with this giant three headed dog. It continues on saying that Hermione was now refusing to talk to Harry and Ron, and that really didn't bother them. It seemed like an added bonus to all of everything that was going on. And now they were just trying to come up with a way to get back at Malfoy, and that actually arrived about a week later, along with their owl post. In come the owls. Everyone's attention was caught at once by a long, thin package that was being carried by six owls. Harry was just as interested as everyone else to see what was in the large partial and was amazed when the owl soared down and dropped it right in front of him. Harry takes a letter from an owl, and he rips it open, and he reads it, and it says, Do not open this at the table. It contained your new Nimbus 2000, but I don't want everybody knowing you've got a broomstick, or they will all want one. Oliver Wood will meet you tonight on the Quidditch pitch. At seven o'clock for your first training session, Professor M. McGonagall. So we see that this new broomstick, this Nimbus 2001, was sent to him by Professor McGonagall. It says that Harry had a difficulty hiding his glee as he handed the note to Ron, and Ron, it says, moaned enviously as he read. Nimbus 2000. And then he says, I've never even touched one. So they get up to leave the hall quickly. They want to unwrap it in private before their first session. But as they're making their way across the hall, Malfoy seized the package from Harry and felt it. And he says, that's a broomstick. You'll be in for it this time, Potter. First years aren't allowed. And then it says that Ron couldn't resist. He says, it's not just any old broomstick. It's a Nimbus 2000. What did you say you got at home, Malfoy? A Comet 260. And then it says that Ron grinned at Harry. Comets look flashy, but they're not in the same league as the Nimbus. And I didn't really talk about this when we first came across the Nimbus when Harry was going through Diagon Alley. But I think it's really cool that J.K. Rowling actually came up with different types of broomsticks, like models of cars. It's just so cool to me that you get to see the thought and the detail behind these things that could otherwise have been really insignificant, but they end up playing a huge part in the story later on. And it's one of my favorite aspects, these little things, these little attention to details. Now we see Malfoy's retort. What would you know about it, Weasley? You couldn't afford half the handle. I suppose you and your brothers have to save up twig by twig. And before Ron could answer, Professor Flitwick appeared at Malfoy's elbow. Remember, he's rather small, and so he probably doesn't come up anywhere past Malfoy's elbow. And he says, not arguing, I hope, boys. And then Malfoy very quickly butts in, Professor Potter's been sent a broomstick. So obviously his hope is to get Harry in trouble. Here, But Professor Flitwick says, yes, yes, that's right, and he's beaming down at Harry, or down, he's beaming up at Harry. Professor McGonagall told me all about the special circumstances, Potter, and what model is it? And Harry says, a Nimbus 2000, sir, and he's fighting not to laugh at the look of horror on Malfoy's face. And he continues on by saying, and it's really thanks to Malfoy here that I've got it. And so from there, Harry and Ron head upstairs, smothering their laughter at Malfoy's obvious rage and confusion. Now, before I continue on, we are, for those of you who are just now listening for the first time, if this is your first episode, we are going through this using the illustrated edition of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone that is illustrated by Jim Kay. And so if you have this book, please open up, go through it with us, look at these pictures. If you don't have it, then please listen in. We're also comparing the books to the movies, and the movies that we're using are the extended Ultimate Editions that are out on Blu-ray and DVD. And so that's also kind of the premise of this entire like podcast, is going through the original series chapter by chapter, going over the talking points, and comparing them to the movies and just having a great time talking about these things. And so, yeah, on this page that we're on now, there is a beautiful, when I say beautiful, this is probably my absolute favorite picture in this book. It is a nighttime cloudy sunset and everything is in dark reds and orange and then black. You have a black silhouette of Hogwarts on the middle right side of the page and you can tell it's farther back along the horizon here and you have these large billowing clouds that are just this vibrant like burnt sienna color and then going across from upper left down to bottom right are three silhouettes of the goalposts and hoops for the quidditch field and then there are a large number of Birds. I would have to guess it. They look maybe like crows just sitting along some of the posts and then flying out of what I assume is probably the top of the silhouettes of the trees inside of the Forbidden Forest. And it is just a gorgeous picture. You look at it and you think Halloween, you think autumn, you think just everything that kind of comes up with this season is really summed up in this photo, even though there isn't anything Spooky or creepy or Halloweeny in it, and yes, I just said Halloweeny deal with it, but it is a gorgeous picture. It says here that Harry had a hard time keeping his mind on his lessons that day. He kept on thinking about the broomstick up in his dormitory or thinking about Quidditch that he was getting ready to learn later on that night at dinner. He shoved his food down his throat and ran upstairs with Ron to unwrap the Nimbus two thousand at last. Ron's sighs, says, Wow.' as the broomstick rolled onto Harry's bedspread. And it says, even though Harry knew nothing about broomsticks, he thought it looked wonderful. It was sleek and shiny with a mahogany handle, and it had a long tail of neat, straight twigs and Nimbus 2000 written in gold near the top. So 7 o'clock rolls around, and Harry leaves the castle, and he's heading off towards the Quidditch pitch in the dusk, and it says that he had never been inside the stadium and it was surrounded by hundreds of seats raised in stands all around the pitch so that spectators were high enough to see what was going on. And then he says at either end of the pitch, there were three golden poles with hoops on the end. They kind of reminded Harry of the little plastic sticks that muggle children would blow bubbles through, except that they were 50 feet up in the air. And so he was then too eager to, to fly again to wait for Wood. So he mounts his broomstick, and he kicks off from the ground. He thinks to himself, wow, what a feeling. He swooped in and out of the goalposts and then sped up and down the pitch. The Nimbus 2000 turned wherever he wanted at his lightest touch. Then Oliver Wood shows up, and he says, hey, Potter, come down. He was carrying a large wooden crate under his arm, and Harry comes down, and he lands right next to him. And Wood then compliments him. He says, very nice, and his eyes were glinting. He says, I see what McGonagall meant. You really are a natural. I'm just going to teach you the rules this evening, and then you'll be joining the team practice three times a week. And so he opens his crate that he was carrying, and then inside of it were four different sized balls. Oliver then continues and says, right. Now, Quidditch is easy enough to understand, even if it's not too easy to play. There are seven players on each side. Three of them are called chasers. Three chasers, Harry repeated as Wood took out a bright red ball about the size of a football. This ball's called the quaffle. The chasers throw the quaffle to each other and try to get it through one of the hoops to score a goal. Ten points every time the quaffle goes through one of the hoops. And then he says, you follow me? Harry then repeats what he had heard. Wood continues, now, there's another player on each side who's called the keeper. I'm the keeper for Gryffindor. I have to fly around our hoops and stop the other team from scoring. Harry then recaps again, three chasers, one keeper. And they all play with the quaffle. Okay, got that? So, what are they for? Harry pointed at the three balls that were left inside of the box. Wood says, I'll show you. Take this. And he handed Harry a small club. A bit like a rounder's bat. I'm going to show you what the bludgers do, says Wood. These are the two bludgers. And he showed Harry two identical looking balls, jet black and slightly smaller than the red quaffle. Harry noticed that they seemed to be straining to escape the straps holding them inside the box. Wood warns Harry to stand back and he bends down and he frees one of the bludgers. At once, the black ball rose high in the air and then pelted straight at Harry's face. Harry swung at it with the bat to stop it from breaking his nose and sent it zigzagging away into the air. It zoomed around their heads and then shot at Wood, who dived on top of it and managed to pin it to the ground. See? Wood panted, forcing the struggling bludger back into the crate and strapping it down safely. The Bludgers rocket around trying to knock players off their brooms. That's why you have two beaters on each team. The Weasley twins are ours. It's their job to protect their side from the Bludgers and try to knock them towards the other team. And then Harry recaps everything that he's heard again. And Wood praises him, says, very good. And then Harry says, have the Bludgers ever killed anyone? Hoping that he kind of sounded offhanded when he asked it. And Wood says, never at Hogwarts. We've had a couple of broken jaws, but nothing worse than that. Now the last member of the team is the Seeker. That's you. You don't have to worry about the Quaffle or the Bludgers, unless they crack my head open. Don't worry, the Weasleys are more than a match for the Bludgers. I mean, they're like a pair of human Bludgers themselves. And so Wood then reaches into the crate, and he took the fourth and last ball out. Compared with the quaffle and the bludgers, it was tiny, about the size of a large walnut. It was bright gold and had little fluttering silver wings. This, said Wood, is the golden snitch, and it's the most important ball of the lot. It's very hard to catch because it's so fast and difficult to see. It's the seeker's job to catch it. You've got to weave in and out of the chasers, the beaters, the bludgers, and the quaffle to get it before the other team's seeker. Because whichever seeker catches the snitch wins his team an extra 150 points. So they nearly always win. That nearly is very important as we find out in a few books. That's also why seekers get fouled so much. A game of Quidditch only ends when the snitch is caught. So it can go on for ages. I think the record is three months. They had to keep bringing on substitutes so the players could get some sleep. Well, that's it. Any questions? So I do want to eventually go in and talk a little bit about Quidditch through the ages. There's really no other way of putting it. I want to talk about the history of Quidditch. And I'm not going to talk about that right now because I do want to talk about something inside of this chapter later on, and there's just not going to be enough time for it. But I promise you, we have many books to get through. We are going to talk about the history of Quidditch. We're going to talk about the history of each of the different balls, in particular the Golden Snitch, because I think it's one of the coolest little things that we talk about that we can learn about. If, I, if I'm correct in thinking, I believe that Before the Golden Snitch, there was the Golden Snidget, which was a type of creature. I'm trying to remember. I think it is. If I'm incorrect now, you can please email me, commonroomtalk at gmail.com, and correct me if I'm incorrect, and I'll definitely correct myself in the next episode, but I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Before, through a few different choices, uh, the game evolves, and we start using an actual ball that we have here as the Snitch, but again, this is all going to be talked about at a different time and not right now. But Harry shakes his head. He doesn't have any questions. He understood what he had to do all right. It was going to be doing it that was going to be the problem. And we won't practice with the snitch yet, said Wood, carefully shutting it back inside the crate. It's too dark. We might lose it. So let's try out a few of these. Now, this is what I think is really funny. It's just one of these things that doesn't really make sense in this moment so I didn't bring it up when I first went through it but when Wood was telling Harry about the chasers throwing the quaffle through the hoops Harry says, so it's sort of like basketball but on broomsticks with six hoops, isn't it? And Wood says what's basketball? So he asks what basketball was as in he didn't know yet after explaining what the snitch is and telling him that he's not going to practice with the snitch it says that he pulled out a bag of ordinary golf balls out of his pocket and a few minutes later he and harry were up there in the air wood throwing the golf balls as hard as he could in every direction for harry to catch so two things here one why is it that wood doesn't know what basketball is but knows what golf balls are and i know it doesn't say that he specifically knows what golf balls are here for anybody who's going to say well it doesn't say blah 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 i i know that but he does pull them out he has a a large number of them at least it's just weird to me that he would have ordinary golf balls maybe I'm going to assume he knows what they are and yet doesn't know what basketball is and the second thing is is why is he just throwing them why is he not banishing them which we know is the opposite of the summoning charm now again this is the first book those kind of details Obviously, probably not thought out just yet, but I would think that maybe JK Rowling had a list of spells that she eventually wanted to use and what they were. So, again, maybe she didn't have that thought out yet, which is not a bad thing. Like, I'm not upset that Oliver's up here throwing the golf balls. I just think that it is a really cool time. It's a good opportunity to take, to, to see more magic being used that. I think would have been really interesting to see here. You're learning about this magical sport. You're in a magical school. You're up on broomsticks flying around. It would have been really cool to see a little bit of magic then being used as well. But they're up there practicing, and Harry doesn't miss a single one, and Wood is just delighted. After half an hour, night had really fallen, and they couldn't carry on anymore. And Wood is just praising Harry. He says that the Quidditch Cup will be ours this year for sure. And he says, I wouldn't be surprised if he turned out to be better than Charlie Weasley. Charlie must have been really good because all of the comparisons so far are to Charlie Weasley. So he must have been one of the best Quidditch players to come through. But he does continue saying he could have played for England if he hadn't gone off chasing dragons. So after this, we get a huge jump of time. It says... Harry didn't realize how busy he was with Quidditch three nights a week and all of the homework that they had, but he could hardly believe that he had been at Hogwarts for two months. So the castle felt more like home than Privet Drive had ever done, which that's a a very important thing throughout the rest of the series, knowing that Harry feels this way about Hogwarts. And his lessons, too, were becoming more and more interesting now that they had mastered the basics. On the morning of Halloween, they woke up to the smell of delicious pumpkin wafting through the corridors. And then they also found out that they were going to be learning to make objects fly in their next charms class. And it's something that they were really looking forward to since they had seen Professor Flitwick make Neville's toad, Trevor, fly across the room. So they're in charms class. They had been put into pairs. Harry's partner was Seamus Finnegan which was a relief to him because Neville had been trying to catch his eye, Ron was put with Hermione Granger. But it was hard to tell who was more upset about it, Ron or Hermione, because Hermione hadn't really been speaking to them ever since Harry's broomstick had arrived. And we see Professor Flitwick say, now don't forget the nice wrist movement we've been practicing. Well, it says he squeaked. He has a little squeaky voice. He says, the swish and flick. Remember, swish and And flick and saying the magic words properly is very important too. Never forget Wizard Barufio, who said S instead of F and found himself on the floor with a buffalo on his chest. And this was really difficult for them to do. They were sitting there trying to practice, Harry and Seamus, but the feather that they were supposed to be sending skywards just laid on the desktop. And it says that Seamus got so impatient that he prodded it with his wand and set fire to it. Harry had to put it out with his hat, which is very different than what we see in the movie. We see Seamus blow up the feather and it causes an explosion. And we see Harry and Seamus with black soot all over their face. And it's just, it's one of those, I I always say iconic because that's what it is. It's an iconic scene. It's one of the scenes that you always think of, probably when you think of Seamus Finnegan and that kind of thing is really just given to him for the rest of the series movie wise that is you you kind of see a little bit of it in the series but it's really kind of played on a lot in the entire movie series at the next table ron was not having any more luck at all when gardium leviosa he shouted waving his long arms like a windmill and so i'm trying to picture this like he's like i don't know like Standing there almost like Elvis Presley playing his guitar, big windmills, windmills, the meals coming on the wind is what that is. But he was using windmills, circling his arm, his really long arms, big circles, and getting nothing. And if you could have just seen me sitting here trying to do windmills and not wind meals with my arms, uh, you would probably be laughing at me. But that's what Ron was doing to no avail. He had zero success with it, and he Harry heard Hermione snap at Ron. You're saying it wrong. It's Wingardium Leviosa. Make the gar nice and long. You do it, then, if you're so clever, Ron snarled back. Hermione rolled up her sleeves, of her gown, flicked her wand, and said, Wingardium Leviosa, and though feather rose off the desk and hovered about three feet above their heads. Professor Flitwick praises them, well done, look here everyone, Miss Granger has done it. And then it says that Ron is in a bad mood by the end of class. Now we see this next part, it's no wonder no one can stand her, he said to Harry as they pushed their way into the crowded corridor. She's a nightmare. Honestly, someone knocked into Harry as they hurried past him. It was Hermione. Harry caught a glimpse of her face and was startled to see tears in her eyes. That is pretty much how we see that part play out in the movies as well as they're leaving the class. Ron says this, Hermione standing, well not standing but walking right behind him, and she bumps past him and it's very clear that she was upset, which I don't blame her. Who wouldn't be upset hearing that? Says that Hermione didn't turn up for the next class and she wasn't seen at all that afternoon. They make it all the way to the Great Hall for dinner that evening and still not there, but it says that they kind of push it out of their minds when they see what's in the great hall. A thousand live bats fluttered from the walls and the ceiling, while a thousand more swooped over the tables in low black clouds, making the candles and the pumpkins stutter. The feast appeared suddenly on the golden plates as it had at the start of term banquet. Now, during this time, Harry and Ron overheard Pavardi Patil telling her friend Lavender that Hermione was crying in the girls' toilets. In the movie, we hear, I believe, Neville saying that he had heard that Hermione had been in the bathroom all afternoon crying. And it says that Harry was helping himself to a jacket potato when Professor Quirrell came sprinting into the hall. His turban was askew and terror on his face. Everyone stared as he reached Professor Dumbledore's chair, slumped against the table and gasped, Troll, in the dungeons, thought you ought to know. He then sank to the floor in a dead, faint, very different than the movie where he comes bursting through the doors and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, trolls, trolls in the dungeon. And then he stops, says, thought you ought to know, and then passes out in the middle of the floor. Here in the book, it says there was an uproar. It took several purple firecrackers exploding from the end of Professor Dumbledore's wand to bring silence. In the movie, he just yells silence. He continues saying, Prefects, lead your houses back to the dormitories immediately. Percy was in his element. Follow me. Stick together. First years. No need to fear the troll. If you follow my orders, stay close behind me. Now, make way. First years coming through. Excuse me, I'm a prefect. I... Again, think this. I'm going to chalk it up to just being very early on in the series, and we see that obviously this is a big deal. Trolls are very strong, very dangerous creatures, but seeing this kind of chaos created from one troll getting into the school is a little bit laughable to me. I think that it is something that can be very easily dealt with by the teachers, uh, which is probably why you do see in the movie at least, Professor Dumbledore staying rather calm. You see him being calm here as well, but the students are just losing their minds, both in the book and in the movies. It's the end of the world for them because a troll had got in. But Harry asks, how could a troll get in as they were climbing the stairs? Ron says, don't ask me. They're supposed to be really stupid. Maybe Peeves let it in as a Halloween joke. So they passed different groups of people hurrying in different directions as they jostled their way through the crowd of confused Hufflepuffs. Harry suddenly grabbed Ron's arm. I've just thought, Hermione, what about her? She doesn't know about the troll. Ron bit his lip. Oh, all right, he snapped, but Percy better not see us. And so they kind of duck out of the way and sneak off. They had just turned the corner when they heard quick footsteps behind them. Percy, hissed Ron, pulling Harry behind a large stone griffin. Peering around, however, they saw not Percy, but Snape. He crossed the corridor and disappeared from view. What's he doing, Harry whispered. Why isn't he down in the dungeons with the rest of the teachers? Search me, says Ron. So you kind of see a little bit of suspicion. Snape is being straight sus here, which is also seen in the movies as you see Dumbledore stand up, says, teachers will follow me down to the dungeons. Snape kind of stands up and backs slowly to a door that's behind him and quickly sneaks through it. And it's very suspicious. So they creep on down the corridor, following Snape's fading footsteps, and says that he's heading for the third floor, Harry said, but Ron held up his hand. Can you smell something? Harry sniffed and a foul stench reached his nostrils. A mix of old socks and the kind of public toilet no one seems to clean. And then they heard a noise. It was a low grunting and shuffling footfalls of gigantic feet. Ron pointed at the end of the passage to the left. Something huge was moving towards them. Now, in the movie, we hear kind of like the footstep noise that is being talked about Harry and Ron shrink back against the wall. And there's a flash of lightning and you see the shadow of the troll against the the corridor wall at the end of the hallway. And it says here, they shrink back into the shadows and watched as it emerged into a patch of moonlight. It was a horrible sight, 12 feet tall, its skin was a dull granite gray its great lumpy body like a boulder with its small bald head perched on top like a coconut it had short legs thick as tree trunks with flat horny feet the smell coming off of it was incredible it was holding a huge wooden club which dragged along the floor because its arms were so long the troll stopped next to a doorway and peered inside It waggled its long ears, making up its tiny mind, then slouched slowly into the room. "'The key is in the lock,' Harry muttered. "'We could lock it in.' "'Good idea,' said Ron nervously. They edged towards the open door, mouths dry, praying the troll wasn't about to come out of it. With one great leap, Harry managed to grab the key, slam the door, and lock it. "'Yes!' Flushed with their victory, they started to run back up the passage, But as they reached the corner, they heard something that made their hearts stop. A high, petrified scream. And it was coming from the chamber they had just locked up. Now, on the bottom of this page, there is a really cool little picture of a troll. And it looks like it has just these large warts all over its body. Literally on its shoulders, on its chest, on its wrists, on its head. And this thing is ugly. It has these long, looks like almost flappy kind of ears, but they do stick out. And that doesn't make any sense. They are long pointy ears. One of them is kind of flappy. That makes much more sense. And his head does look kind of like a coconut with some hair on it. And he looks, he has a very dumbfounded expression on his face. And he is gray and he has a little bit of maybe like a dirt tinge to his skin as well. But something that I do want to read here is what is one on the next page. So we're going to skip some of the uh, the words here and we're going to go to this next page because it has a really cool description of a troll on it with a really neat little diagram here. And it says Newt Scamander's Guide to Trolls. And there's a few different diagrams in here of a few different types of trolls. One being a forest troll, the other being a mountain troll. And there's also a diagram of the skeleton. It says on here, trolls are characterized by their large size and prodigious strength. They possess thick skin, often covered in horny growths or cobbles, which litter the floor of troll caves. And so it's really cool. You see the two different types of trolls. There's one picture here that has like the small little lump on the top of their head cut off, and you see their tiny little brain pulled out of it. It's just a diagram on it. Now, this was obviously done after the Fantastic Beasts book, but we are going to refer really quick to Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Now, in this book... There is a depiction of a troll, and it's really just a silhouette of a large humanoid creature. It honestly looks more like a suit of armor with a club than anything else. I wouldn't have thought that this was a troll when I first looked at it. The depictions in the illustrated book by Jim Kay are much better than this. And so we're going to go ahead and read this. It says, Troll. Ministry of Magic classification four X. Now, remember the Xs are their danger level, how dangerous this creature is. The more Xs, the more dangerous. And this says the troll is a fearsome creature up to 12 feet tall and weighing over a ton. Now, I will say that as far as this troll goes, it would have been a larger troll. It says because it gets up to 12 feet, usually meaning the average is probably going to be less than that. And Matt and Canberra, if you're listening, I did that for you specifically as people constantly say that the different types of creatures that they talk about their sizes usually what the max size is and never talk about the average size. Notable for its equally prodigious strength and stupidity, the troll is often violent and unpredictable. Trolls originated in Scandinavia, but these days they may be found in Britain, Ireland, and other areas of northern Europe. Trolls generally converse in grunts that appear to constitute a crude language, though some have been known to understand and even speak a few simple human words. The more intelligent of the species have been trained as guardians. There are three types of trolls, mountain forest, and river. The mountain troll is the largest and most vicious. It is bald with pale gray skin. The forest troll has a pale green skin and some specimens have hair which is green or brown, thin, and straggly. The river troll has short horns and may be hairy. It has a purplish skin and is often found lurking beneath Bridges. I think that's really cool. The idea of the troll under the bridge uh, being one of like the young fairy tale stories that we hear as Muggles would hear, not I, but other Muggles hear as children. Trolls eat raw flesh and are not fussy in their prey, which ranges from wild animals to humans. And there you have it. That's the description of the troll in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Newt Scamander. Now back to the scream that they had heard. Oh no, said Ron, pale as the bloody Baron. It's the girl's toilet, Harry gasped. Hermione, they said together, and it was the last thing that they wanted to do, but what choice did they have? So they go in, they, they're sprinting back to the door, they fumble with the key, but they finally get it pulled open and they run inside. Hermione was shrinking against the wall opposite now remember in the movie that part didn't happen they didn't lock it in it kind of just lumbered into the girl's bathroom as Hermione was getting ready to walk out and she kind of just stops looks up and then slowly backs against one of the stalls and then the troll takes a huge swipe at her the troll was advancing on her knocking the sinks off the wall as it went Confuse it, Harry said desperately to Ron, and he seized a tap and threw it as hard as he could at the wall. So it looks like he's trying to make some loud noise to get its attention. The troll stopped a few feet from Hermione. It lumbered around, blinking stupidly to see what had made the noise. Its mean little eyes saw Harry. It hesitated and then made for him instead, lifting its club as it went. Oi, pea brain, yelled Ron from the other side of the chamber, which we see him do in the movie and he threw a metal pipe at it. The troll didn't even seem to notice the pipe hitting its shoulder, but it heard the yell and paused again, turning its ugly snout towards Ron instead, giving Harry time to run around it. Come on, run, run. Harry was yelling at Hermione, and he was trying to pull her towards the door, but she couldn't move. She was still flat against the wall, her mouth open with terror. The shouting and the echoes seemed to be driving the troll berserk. It roared again and started towards Ron, who was nearest and had no way to escape. And then Harry decided to do something that was both brave and stupid. He took a running jump and managed to fasten his arms around the troll's neck from behind. The troll couldn't feel Harry hanging there, but even a troll would notice if you stick a long bit of wood up its nose. And Harry's wand had still been in his hand when he jumped. It had gone straight up one of the troll's nostrils, probably not unlike something we would do for a COVID test. I wonder if the troll would test positive. It says that the troll howled with pain and it twisted and flailed its club around with Harry hanging on for dear life. Any second, the troll was going to rip him off or catch him with a terrible blow with the club. Hermione had sunk to the floor in fright. Ron pulled out his wand, not knowing what he was going to do, but he heard himself cry the first spell that came to his head. Wingardium Leviosa. The club then flew into the air out of the troll's hand. It rose high, high up into the air. It turned over slowly and then dropped with a sickening crack onto its owner's head. Now, in the movie, it seems as if maybe Ron did it, like he had a little bit of control over it. Like, he caused the club to drop and hit him. Not drop as in like it was just falling, because here it says that it looks like it just dropped, like it was falling through the air on its own accord, not actually being controlled. But it hits the troll on the head. The troll kind of then just swayed on the spot and then fell flat on its face with a thud that made the whole room tremble. Harry got to his feet. He was shaking and out of breath. Ron was standing there with his wand still raised. "'staring at what he had done. "'It was Hermione who had spoke first. "'Is it dead? "'I don't think so,' said Harry. "'I think it's just been knocked out.' "'So Harry bends down, pulls his wand out of the troll's nose, "'and it was covered in what looked like lumpy gray glue. "'Ugh, troll bogeys. "'He wiped it on the troll's trousers.'" This is one difference that I don't like that they did in the movies versus the book, here, he wipes the troll boogers on the troll's pants. Yet, in the movie, they have him wipe the boogers and snot on his robes. Like, why? That's so gross. Why on your robes? But there was a sudden slamming and loud footsteps made the three of them look up, and they hadn't realized how much noise that they had been making. But of course, someone downstairs must have heard all of the crashing and the yelling and the trolls roaring, A few moments later, Professor McGonagall had come bursting into the room, followed by Snape and Quirrell bringing up the rear. And Quirrell took one look at the troll, let out a faint whimper, and sat down. I don't understand how he got caught up again in all of this, if he had, like, passed out on the floor in the Great Hall. Yet here he is, probably trying to... I don't know. I I, I can't say what I want to say because it gives away... But it's just, I don't understand how he ended up getting here when he was passed out. Snape is bending over the troll, examining it, and Professor McGonagall is staring Harry and Ron down. And it says that they had never seen her look so angry. Her lips were white. Hopes of winning 50 points for Gryffindor faded quickly from Harry's mind. And Professor McGonagall asks him, what on earth were you thinking? And there's cold fury in her voice. Harry looked at Ron, who was standing with his wand in the air. You're lucky you weren't killed. Why aren't you in your dormitory? Snape gave Harry a swift, piercing look. Harry looked at the floor. He wished Ron would put his wand down. Then a small voice came out of the shadows. Please, Professor McGonagall, they were looking for me. Miss Granger... Hermione had managed to get to her feet at last. I went looking for the troll because I I thought I could deal with it on my own, you know, because I've read all about them. Ron dropped his wand. Hermione Granger, telling a downright lie to a teacher. If they hadn't found me, I'd be dead by now. Harry stuck his wand up its nose, and Ron knocked it out with its own club. They didn't have time to come and fetch anyone. It was about to finish me off when they arrived. Now... This is one of the things that I don't like. I don't understand why Hermione has to lie in this case. She doesn't have to be completely forthcoming with the truth, but I feel like she could have said, they knew that I was in the bathroom when all of this started to happen and they didn't have time to come and get anyone. They just showed up in time to save me. And I don't see why they could have been in trouble for that. Like, why not just say that instead of just outright lying like you do here? It's one of the things that doesn't make sense to me. Now, on this page, it's the left-hand side of the page, you see this really ugly troll again with a little black wand stuck up its nose, Harry clinging onto the back of the troll, his arms around its neck, and you can see one eye on the troll is closed. It's struggling right now it's club still in its hand and it doesn't know what's going on and harry's hanging on for dear life it says that harry and ron tried to not look as though this story was new to them and professor mcgonagall says well in that case staring at the three of them miss granger you're a foolish girl how could you think of tackling a mountain troll on your own hermione hung her head harry was speechless Hermione was the last person to do anything against the rules, and here she was pretending that she had to get them out of trouble. Miss Granger, five points taken from you. We know what happens next. She says he's very disappointed in her. She then gives Harry and Ron five points. Well, I still say that you were lucky, but not many first years could have taken on a fully grown mountain troll. You each get five points for Gryffindor, which seems like a really small amount of points in light of what is going on, especially when we see in later points, they're dishing out 20, 30, and 50 points. We even see, even in this book, taking away 50 points. And so I would feel really upset if I had only gotten five points for saving somebody's life and taking on a troll. Like, what... She finishes up by saying, Professor Dumbledore will be informed of this. You may go. They then hurry out of the chamber, and then they don't speak until they have at least climbed two floors up. And it was a relief to be away from the smell of the troll and apart from everything else. We should have gotten more than 10 points, Ron grumbled. Five, you mean, once she's taken off her They're in the right mindset. They should have got a lot more points points. Good of her to get us out of trouble like that, Ron admitted. Mind you, we did save her. She might not have needed saving if we hadn't locked her in there with the troll. They had reached the portrait of the fat lady. Pig snout, they said, and then they entered. The common room was packed and noisy. Everyone was eating the food that had been sent up. So everyone, I guess, then being in the common room, they had food sent up so they could obviously finish eating their dinner because that's what they were getting ready to do was feast So they finished the feast here, and it says that none of them were looking at each other. They all said thanks, and they hurried off to get plates. And this is one of my favorite just few sentences of the entire series. This next little bit here says, But from that moment on, Hermione Granger became their friend. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other, and knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. And that is the end of chapter 10. This is the Halloween episode, and it's coming out on Halloween. And so if you're listening, one, happy Halloween to you guys. I hope you guys have enjoyed the holiday. I hope you have made it what you wanted it to be, that you could dress up, scare people, see kids, hand out candy. If you're a kid listening to this, I hope you got a bunch of candy. Make sure you check it because there are stupid people in the world. Check your candy if you're really big on All of the COVID stuff going on, make sure you maybe sanitize your candy. I don't know, like the packaging, I guess. Just be safe when trying to eat your candy. If you have leftover candy like we do, eat it up. I am so excited about our candy dishes being full of candy. My wife is not excited about it because she's going to constantly remind me for the next four and a half weeks that we also are doing CrossFit and candy is counterproductive to that, to which I say, uh, I'm going to eat candy anyways. If you guys are enjoying this podcast, please like it, share it, tell your friends about it, tell anyone who has an interest in Harry Potter about it. Again, if this is your first episode, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this. It's a new unique way to go through the series that isn't just watching the movie or listening to the book or reading the book, which are all wonderful ways of doing it. My favorite way personally is the audiobooks by Jim Dale. I just wanted to come up with a new way to go through the series with different talking points. If you like it, the biggest thing you guys can do is go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a written comment. It's the best way to have them kind of promote it themselves. I'm still learning new ways on how to promote this. If you guys have any ideas on how I can do so, please feel free to reach out. Common Talk at gmail.com. And again, thank you guys so much for listening. You guys are absolutely amazing. Again, happy Halloween. My name's Tony, I'm your host. And this is Common Room Talk.